Hello, welcome to Hattrick. I am Jordan Dollar Coltman, joined by Elliot Tanti, and we have one of our recurring but most special guests, the mother pucker herself. Uh, Larice Campbell is with us, but Elliot, before we even let Larice get in here, there is a very important conversation that must be had. Uh, we need some clarification and some answers about something rather controversial that you posted on your social media. Can you please tell the listeners at home the significance and meaning of the lawnmower that is now tattooed on your arm? Yeah, so <laughs> I'm not sure that I'm ever going to do this justice. And it's a new tattoo, so I haven't refined the story yet. Essentially, about two months ago, my sister came to me and I said that she wanted to get matching tattoos. And I was all in favor of that. And uh, then we ran into a roadblock around what that tattoo was going to be. And uh, we realized the unifying thing in our lives is this 30-year-old lawnmower that my father refuses to throw away, yet we are both required to use anytime we are asked to cut the grass at the house. Uh, and it is a piece of junk. It rarely starts. It usually dies at least once, if not twice, during the task of mowing the lawn. And uh, we both hate it uh, with all our passion. And uh, so we decided that we would get a matching tattoo of the lawnmower <laughs> to uh, immortalize it forever as, um, you know, the greatest frustration shared between the two of us. It's great. It's great. I'm all about a good hate tattoo. I like it too. That's fantastic. <laughs> Did she get it in the same place? Yes. Yeah, we got That's it. Awesome. Yes, so it matching bicep lawnmowers. Uh, yeah, she hers is on her arm. But the cool thing was uh, the tattoo artist, uh, Nathan Penus is here in Edmonton. Really great guy, really great artist. If you're ever looking for a tattoo in Edmonton, big shout out to Nathan. He actually let her do a line on my arm, which is cool too. So we've got that like piece of history. Is how much do it. She didn't let you do a line on hers? <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Not Coloring in the lines is not my forte. Let's just say that. All right. All right, well, let's get to it. Here's topic one. All right, so we're going to start uh, this week with a topic that uh, we didn't have a show last week, so we have to sort of address some things. And I think that uh, for those who have listened, you know, it's pretty clear we are in a, a, a podcast that has spent a lot of our time um, celebrating and talking about and um, creating content surrounding the Edmonton Oilers. We're Oiler fans, the three of us. Um, many of our guests are Oiler fans, the Reese included. Um, many of our listeners are Oilers fans. And obviously, this is the time of year where training camp's underway. You know, people are getting excited about the NHL season. Hockey's back. Um, but this year has been a little bit different from, from, from the perspective of being an Oilers fan because I think that, you know, a lot of Oilers fans, many of us included, um, have been very conflicted around the decision to bring um, accused rapist Jake Furtanen um, into the Oilers organization on a professional tryout. Now, we should make it very clear for those who are new to this story. He has not been given a contract, an NHL contract to play for the Oilers. He is not currently a member of the team. He is here on a, what is considered a tryout. Um, it's a structure within the current CBA that allows players who are looking for an opportunity to get a league minimum deal um, rather than end up having to play overseas or somewhere else, an opportunity to come into a training camp and try to basically take the job of someone who may already be there, a developing player or whatever. And we've seen this work out many times in different situations. We've also seen situations where players come in on a PTO with one organization and sign down the road in Calgary, you know, the day after preseason, that was Christopher Stieg. 
the reality um, of this situation is twofold. One, the Edmonton Oilers are doing this um, in a very sort of strange situation considering they don't have cap to sign him or Demers currently. <laughs> uh, I believe they have less than $200 total in available salary cap after the LTI of Mike Smith and um, Oscar Clefbaum comes off the book. So they're already in a very tight situation when it comes to contracts. And so it begs the question, why on earth the organization has made the decision to bring in someone who brings with him um, not only a very questionable history in the league as a player, this is an individual who twice under contract to the Vancouver Canucks showed up to camp out of shape to the point where he almost failed a physical. So there's already some question marks surrounding his on-ice conditioning. Secondly, and more importantly, I think, there is a serious cloud following his recent um, history legally. Uh, we talked about it when it happened on this show. He was accused by a woman uh, here in Vancouver of rape. Um, she ended up being able to take those uh, accusations to the police several years after the incident itself. Jake Vertanen was released, actually bought out by the Vancouver Canucks. He actually played last season in the KHL. He came back to Canada this year to face trial, which he did. Uh, he was found not guilty by a jury of his peers here in Vancouver. He is now currently facing a legal lawsuit, which is often the case in these circumstances when uh, the jury court system finds someone not guilty of a sexual assault. The next step for victims is often the um, lawsuit route. So legally, he has not been found guilty of this crime, but the sideshow and all of the baggage that is attached to him has been brought down on Oiler fans, on the community surrounding the team, on the city of Edmonton, by simply offering this gentleman an opportunity to come in here on a PTO that he probably will end up without a contract at the end of anyway. And so there's a lot of question marks, I think. There's a lot of more difficult conversations that uh, we're trying to have. That's what this podcast is about. We have uh, talked already this year about live golf, for example. Uh, and when you have a sporting uh, league that is funded by uh, a country that has significant human rights issues, um, we, you know, there's a term that has kind of become more and more common, I think, in our lexicon, which is sports washing. The idea that organizations, individuals, countries who have these this baggage, um, which I guess is the term I'm using right now, uh, attached to them, uh, find ways to allow sports or things, entertainment um, to sort of to sort of wash over uh, and distract from some of those other issues. Uh, and in this situation, I think the challenge here is that you have people, fans, ourselves again included, who have huge emotional investments in a team, uh, in the individuals who are already on that team, uh, in the narrative and the storyline surrounding that team who are put in a position when a choice like this is made to question not only their allegiance to that organization, but the morality of that organization and all of the personal investment that they have put into that, I think comes into question. And that's difficult. And it's, and it's, it's just, it, there's a lot to unpack. So that's what we're going to spend a few minutes here doing. This topic will probably be longer. Certainly interaction has been, but it's because it's complicated. It's because there's a lot to, to deal with. So I'm going to step back now. I've kind of, laid out as best I can where we are with all of this. A week ago, Elliot, 
we're all getting ready for training camp. Obviously, there were rumors this was going to happen. Um, our, everyone's favorite Oilers writer, Mark Spector, uh, gave us a glimmer of hope, I believe, on the Friday, suggesting it wouldn't happen. And then two days later, it was announced it would. Well, it was happening, and that he was given that that that, that PTO. When it happened, uh, and I guess in the week since, um, what were your feelings? What are your feelings? And sort of where are you sitting with all of this as an Oilers fan? Uh, Jordan, that was a great introduction, and I really appreciate the time and effort that you put into it to sort of really explain things, because these are hard conversations, and none of this is black and white, and, and I think context is really key in this, and so, you know, I appreciate you taking the time to to, to, to spell this out. Um, to say I was disappointed would be an understatement. Uh, I really have, up until this point, really struggled on a number of fronts with the Edmonton Oilers. And the f- concern I have as an Oilers fan right now is someone with who is, you know, you know, consider myself to be fairly socially conscious and engaged in issues in sports beyond just uh, the final score at the end of the night. Um, I'm really concerned about what this action says about the team that I love. And I, I don't know that I have an answer for you or that I, that I can even really you know, express how I'm feeling, but, but my work, you know, when I'm not on this podcast is really around reputation and branding and marketing. And I'm really concerned that a really problematic image is starting to emerge for the Edmonton Oilers. And because this is not just a one and done, we had this exact conversation offline six or seven months ago, when Evander Kane joined the organization. We had a conversation similar to this 12 months ago when Duncan Keith gave what I believe Larice responded, uh, described as bullshit answer to the questions and concerns that emerged out of the Chicago Blackhawks organization while he played for that team. And there are other examples in recent history, the Emerson Oilers, of them protecting or engaging with players that have suspect situations in their personal lives. And that to me, I worry about, I worry about reputationally. And I guess there are those that will say the game is the game and the person is the person. And I just care about the game and the outcome of, uh, of the, uh, of the score. And that's it, but that's not me. Uh, and that's not how I feel. And I know you've gone through a reckoning with our football team name. I went through a reckoning with our football team name here in Edmonton. And like, it's getting to the point where enough is enough, I think for me. And that's really hard to say. Am I there? Have I crossed? Have they crossed the line? I mean, I guess not. I was looking at the highlights tonight of the the first preseason game. So I'm still engaged. Um, But I do think it just, you know, you described sort of the Oilers cap situation and that's not enough of a reason not to sign this individual. In fact, there's a lot more of a reason not to, but it just seems nonsensical. And like, why, why are we doing this? I, I, I'm just, I'm sort of lost, lost in this whole piece. Yeah. yeah. Like, no, I think that's fair. I think that's where, um, I think that's, uh, you're in a very similar place, I would say to where I am. Um, and I'm going to turn it over to Larissa here in a second, but I wanted to just point out too that uh, 
all of those things I pointed out as, as reasons why he probably won't end up being signed, as you say, like they're irrelevant in terms of the bigger conversation about why this, the unanswered conversation about like why the organization has made this decision. You, you laid out a couple of the good examples, I think, that do exist already within this organization. There's also the fact that, I mean, its president is going to be sitting in front of the federal government's inquiry into the uh, Hockey Canada situation because Bob Nicholson was the president of that organization for almost a decade uh, prior to the most recent allegations. But several of the allegations that have come out since were under his tenureship, and we have heard nothing uh, from Bob Nicholson. So there is, again, as you say, this sort of pattern of behavior that is emerging that is, to be fair, bigger than just the Edmonton Oilers. Hockey, I think, is stepping into its bigger reckoning for the first time. This this is sort of this last year has really been um, there's been a lot of this, um, but that's a big part of it. I, I want to say one thing before I turn it over to Larice because I know she has things to say, but I wanted to say it on behalf of our show. I think it's important to acknowledge that we are a show that is hosted traditionally week to week by three white men. And we do have an obligation, I think, to do a better job of trying to find inclusive voices uh, to have on our show. And more importantly, not just when the topics specifically deal with issues uh, of gender, of sexual assault, of racism, of any of these things, we should be doing a better job. So I wanted to acknowledge that because I don't want there to be I don't, I don't want it to simply feel like every time one of these, because you pointed out already, we had Larissa on when we were talking about Chicago because she has very powerful, I think, and important things to say about it. But those aren't the only things that we should be listening to your voice and other people's voices about. So I need to acknowledge that because we can do better as a show to ensure that that's happening, that we're not just having, it shouldn't be tokenism. It shouldn't be representation when convenient. And I think that that's important. I'm acknowledging our own failty in that or, 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 uh, or however you want to put it. That said, I know that this is something that you have been struggling with and, and unpacking as a fan of the Oilers, as a fan of hockey, as someone who, uh, you know, as I sort of said, people are getting excited about like this is a time of year traditionally where you uh, are excited to, yes. to you would be watching every highlight you'd be watching every week, you know, yeah. obviously it's different this year. Um, so I'll turn it over to you and sort of let where where are you with all of this this week? I mean, as Elliot said, we're a preseason game in yeah. uh, a week into training camp and sort of the beginning of what's next. Thanks. Thanks for having me back. Um, and thanks for letting me share. Um, yeah, this is a really tough week for me. It's been a couple tough weeks. Um, normally this is the time when my Facebook feed in my life is we're back, we're back. Here we go. This is exciting. I've been waiting for this all summer. I, I don't know what time I didn't love the Oilers and Every, as Elliot said, it's getting harder and harder to justify saying that I love the Oilers <laughs> when we keep having these conversations. Um, and it just feels like they are okay with alienating marginalized people, um, women, non-binary folks, anyone who, um, anyone who may have experienced sexual assault or sexual violence in their lives. Um, it feels like they are comfortable saying we don't matter or our concerns or our fears don't matter. And I personally have not tuned in. I'm having a really hard time not occasionally checking Twitter and finding out what's going on. Um, but I, I can't think about right now um, 
watching the team with with him still on the ice. Um, I should, you know, caveat and say, I believe in our justice system to an extent. We know though that sexual assaults are not prosecuted in Canada to the amount that they that hap they happen. I think the average that receives an actual, like where a charge is laid and then found guilty is like 6.5%. 7%. Um, and that's one stat. Some people say up to about 12%, but that's an incredibly low number. Um, and so do the Oilers have every right to offer him a PTO? Sure. But, but why? Um, we've talked about the cap space. It doesn't make sense. We talked about how he has multiple times shown that he does not honor the opportunity to be an NHLer and show up prepared. And then why would the, Oilers do that and bring them circus that surrounds this. What is what is the outcome that they were attending to achieve? Because it just feels harmful and it doesn't make sense to me. And so I'm struggling to know with where I go from here as an Oilers fan. Um, sure, I want to I want to watch. I want to see Connor and Leon do amazing things. I want to see I want to see where this team can go, especially after our run last year. Um, but I just can't right now. And, and then I also personally struggle with, okay, as soon as he is cut, which I know he will be, um, I believe that if I just jump right back in, what am I then saying? Um, what is the point then really? Um, if I'm only saying it's just this case scenario and I'm not, I'm, and I'm fine with sort of compartmentalizing all of the previous things that have gone on that Elliot has mentioned or, or just uh, encouraging that it's okay. We'll always come back if, if uh, these things continue to happen. And so it's been a tough few weeks as we prepare uh, for this upcoming season and where I stand. I'm not quite sure. I don't have an answer right now. Yeah. I thought, I think you brought up a really good point though, which is that, you know, one of the struggles with the conversation uh, around this whole thing. And I think this is also, I exacerbated this this whole week of of how this has played out is exacerbated by the fact that uh, I think I said this to you off air recently. Like Twitter is such a blunt object; it it lacks the ability for nuanced conversation, and yet that is the kind of go to platform where most of the fan to fan interaction around sports occurs nowadays. Not just Twitter, obviously, other social media. The challenge I think that also exists is that we lack right now, at least in Edmonton, a media um, environment that is diverse enough, that is um, um, sort of competitive enough and moreover, like like independent enough um, to actually be asking the difficult questions that should be asked. You know, if you go back and listen to some of the Ken Holland press conference or some of the conversation, even as Elliot brought up back to like the Duncan Keith press conference, you know, there's a real lack of teeth. I think there's a real lack of accountability and challenging that occurs directly with the individuals here. Um, and therefore it comes down to the backlash or response of the fan base or of the outside community to occur on social media with this sort of filter on it. Uh, and then you end up very quickly down a very 
sort of ugly hole where you have people entrenching themselves on two different sides of whatever argument and conversations lose, as I say, the, the, the nuance that is necessary for these things. Yes, we are talking about an individual who was accused of a heinous crime. He had his day in court and he was found not guilty. That does not prove innocence. That proves a lack of sufficient evidence to prove guilt. That is how our system is built. You are innocent until proven guilty. And in this case, he was not proven guilty. Therefore, we have to, if we are if we are going to believe in the system that governs our judicial system, we have to at least accept that to some degree. However, as you say, there is more nuance to it. There are bigger pieces of the morality surrounding these decisions. And in the climate, I think, that exists within hockey culture right now, considering Hockey Canada's situation, considering the Blackhawks a year ago, considering all of the other conversations that are happening, it stands to reason where the moral decision-making was when it comes to the choice to do this. Elliot pointed out strictly from a from a media PR standpoint, this, this, like there was a thing, there was a conversation that occurred and does occur so often, moreover, I think in the NFL, but around like drafting where you have teams making decisions about not drafting it because they don't like their character. Or they're not quite sure about the, the, you know, the conversation we, we talked for, years about whether or not the decision to trade Taylor Hall was correct because there was a suggestion it was because of toxicity in the locker room. I'm sorry, where is that conversation gone? Where is the conversation around the all of these young players for whom training camp is a stepping stone moving forward? All of the players who are coming to this organization as free agents believing in joining the McDavid Dreisaitl nurse leadership team, believing that this is a team on the up and up moving forward, all of that positivity, all of that opportunity for regeneration and growth and all of that Woodcroft starting his first season, literally every single storyline going into the season should have been optimistic, uh, positive, all of those things. And then you literally just bring in this anchor this huge element of dead weight that is going to divide your fan base that is going to create a, a cloud around you half the stories the national media is now going to cover surrounding the oilers has to have this in it and of course it has to have it in it but strictly putting aside what he is accused of and all of the morale parts of that itself i don't understand the decision i think that it shows a huge lack of both integrity from the business and, and and hockey side of it, and equally a huge lack of morality and, and and integrity when it comes to what this says, as you say, to victims of sexual assault, to women, to fans, to young people who are looking up to this organization. It just, for me, makes absolutely zero sense. Whether it's simply you know them checking a box because there was a you know there there, there is rules about having to have a certain number of veteran players in the lineup for preseason games. They want to get more rookies in there, so you got to have eight guys who have played hundred games. If that's the reason, that is a horrible and a stupid and a selfish reason to bring such a absolute shit storm onto your front door, as far as I'm concerned. And it it does. It makes me question the organization, decision making, all of it. And, and if it's strictly a pers perspective of like they believe he is a better <laughs> hockey player than somebody they have in there, then I'm equally confused. And I, I wonder well, where we stopped. Oh, sorry, Elliot. I just I wonder where we've stopped along the way wanting our sports heroes or our sports players, people we look up to, when did we stop wanting them to be good people off the ice as well as good, good players, good performers of their job when they're playing it, it, you know, suddenly we're, we're 
we're just compartmentalizing that. And when did that stop? Because we, I, in a lot of the engaged conversations I've had around this issue in the past few weeks, a lot of people have said, well, that's off the ice and we're just focused on what's on the ice. Great. But if that was the case, then a city like Edmonton wouldn't have rallied around someone like Joey Moss. They wouldn't have rallied around some somebody like Ben last year. If the off ice means nothing, then that means nothing. And that's not the case. It absolutely means something to that city. It absolutely means something to that organization and that team. So when did we stop wanting to achieve or wanting to hire people into these positions where they have power or or prestige or just or given a voice and a platform when have we wanted them to stop being good people off the off the ice in this case and that's mind-boggling to me especially after ben and especially after joey well yeah and i think you know i think we're getting closer here because that you know there, there aren't any answers but i think we're circling around a question and for me what's emerged out of this conversation what i'm thinking about the question is 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 how much are you willing to take as a Fan, how much are you willing to take as a member of management, as a team, as an organization to win, right? I, ultimately, you know, there's been some competitive decision made that Jake Vertanen will make, has the opportunity or the chance or the capacity to make the Edmonton Oilers a better team. And is that marginal increase in capacity for the team, that, that percent of a percent chance that they get closer to winning a Stanley Cup, worth the baggage and the conversation that we're that fans like us are having right now and you for me you know we're starting to get to the point where there are things in this world more important than winning even for a professional sports team and that like what is that line I, I i guess that's the question what is that line for and for different people it's going to mean different things and that's fair respect you know you have your reasons and 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 but i have mine and jordan has yours his and larry's has hers and and i guess that that's the question that people need to be asking and but what i find is that line is a lot further than i think all of us would hope is you know I find we talk a lot and we're very vindictive at times on this show in situations in other markets. Um, and I think what we're all grasping with here or, or trying to find a reckoning with is like, oh, all of a sudden, you know, when it's home time, when, when, when it's home time, when it's in your own backyard is really when it counts. Right. And, 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 and I think we've all, we're all discovering because we've all peaked at the score, maybe not Jordan, but Lyris and I, we've all peaked at the score, looked at something on social media last Maybe that line's a little bit further than we all thought, right? And and I think you're right. I think you're right. I think you're right. I think one of the one of the things I've been sort of thinking about this whole week is about, uh, you know, I think I've often, I think I probably said it on the show. I I've definitely said it in private to many people. You know, I look at sports teams, and when I'm asked by people who aren't necessarily sports fans, like, why should sports matter? Why does sports matter? I believe very strongly that when you invest your emotional energy in an organization, in a team, in a player, whether it's like if it's an individual player, Serena Williams or whatever, whoever we've talked about, when you invest as a fan of something, you have, you know, levels of commitment to that. That's fair. But when you truly invest, when you become a lifelong fan of a team, you have joined and are a member of an, of a community, a 
a network of people who have a shared um, passion for the organization, different backgrounds, different perspectives, different ways of showing that fandom, you know, whether they're people who financially um, put out and become season ticket holders, whether they are people who are on opposite sides of the globe and try to watch whatever games they can streaming on whatever platform they can, you know, hack into, whether you're a fan who, you know, fills their basement with the memorabilia and, and of things of that team, or you're just someone who quietly checks the score every night and, and is happy that the team's doing well, whatever level or commitment to that group, that organization, that, that community you are a part of, there is an investment emotionally in it. And when things like this happen, I think that it challenges and it, um, and it, it causes like physical and emotional pain as a fan to feel like something you have emotionally invested in might not be as pure and as, and as um, aligned with the other parts of your own identity that you may have thought or may have projected onto it. And that's the struggle that I think a lot of fans have. Some fans compartmentalize and are able to dismiss that, or some fans don't care. And, and I'm not going to sit here like we would on Twitter and, and get into a argument around whether you, whatever your own life experience and baggage coming into this situation is and whether, where you, where you line up on that situation. But at the end of the day, the truth is as a fan, we are always, at the mercy of the decision-making of those organizations. And for the most part, if things are going well, you're, you're kind of mostly at the mercy of them making decisions about personnel or about coaching choices, or should they have fired, you know, Dave Tippett in December instead of January, or should they have made this trade or that trade or not resign this person or whatever. And we get frustrated. We get angry. We don't agree with we quarterback or we, you know, Monday morning quarterback or, or armchair GM or whatever. That's part of being a fan. But when this happens, there is a level of outrage and frustration that boils up because you not only don't have control of the decision-making, but now the decision-making puts you as a fan in a position where your own personal morality, your own personal convictions are being challenged by something you never expected to have to reckon with. That's why it hurts. That's why it's hard. That's why... I think there is a real like emotional reckoning that people are going through. And it is also the same thing that will allow most people, I believe, to dismiss and let go of this situation if it is rectified by him never being signed to an actual NHL contract. And two months from now, most people will just brush this under the rug as having never happened. And that's a coping mechanism too, to protect something you care deeply about. Just as Elliot, I'm glad you brought up the, the the Edmonton Elks and the former the former name because I can identify as someone who grew up as a fan of that organization and I am not that anymore. And the decisions that organization made throughout a decade led me to literally be able to excommunicate myself from that fan base to completely sever whatever legacy it held emotionally for me. And I went through whatever form of quote unquote grieving process one goes through when they leave a community. But I sit here today, not feeling nostalgia or loss or anything, honestly, back to that. 
I really, that's where I am. I'm not there right now with the Oilers, but I think what struggle, what, what, what struggle is, is when you care about something the way I think we all do and the value or importance you put on something the way we have with this team, with these players, all of these things, it really is a, a, a really personal process. And everyone, as I say, will come to that with different play, different pieces. Victims of sexual assault will come to this decision from a very different perspective than I can even possibly understand. People who have never been a part or don't, you know, have that perspective will come to it from a different place. People who have been charged with and acquitted of crimes will come to this with a different perspective. People who have never, you know, all like my point being, no matter who you are and where you come from, you're going to see this in a different way. But I want to make sure it's clear that from my perspective, I am struggling as a fan to rationalize how I am supposed to navigate this situation. And I'm sure there's a lot of listeners out there who are at different places with that too. And that's why I thought it, and I believe it is important. We've been having this conversation. I'm going to give you each an opportunity to sort of have a final say on this because we've gone through a lot of it. Um, and there may be things you still have to say, but I'm going to let that that's where I'm at. So I'm going to leave myself uh, out of there now. Where, where, where do we want to go, Louise? Where are you at with this? I, uh, <laughs> I think that Canadian hockey has a rape problem. Yeah. And um, that's hard to say. It's hard to say out loud. Um, and I don't know where to go with that. But I think it is clear. It is clear that it is now uh, like I had a friend from the Netherlands send me a message regarding all of this. Not a hockey fan, an F1 and soccer fan. I'm not going to name her, but if she listens, she'll know. And she was sort of shocked. She had spent some time living here and had kind of started to understand our Canadian obsession with hockey in general, uh, specifically mine with the Oilers. And she was sort of shocked to hear that these things were coming to the forefront and that they weren't being treated with more um, concern from Canadian media. And so overall, I, I am very, very conflicted on how I move forward, specifically with my team and then into Canadian hockey, Canadian hockey media and sports in general when these things happen. So I don't know. I think that's my last thought. Um, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what I got. <laughs> Elliot. Yeah. I think just as you know, Evander Kane and Duncan Keith before that, it's uh, this whole situation for me has uh, reminded myself of the double standard that I carry in a lot of aspects related to sports. Um, and I think the double standard that we all carry, you know, I think about the fact that there was an F1 race this weekend, I think canceled in Russia because, or, you know, there was a Russian, you know, you know, it was canceled. Um, and there were Russian players not allowed to play in tennis. And we all stood behind that because of, everything that was going on in that space. Uh, you know, I, there's countless examples. You know, I can't stand the NFL, and I think it's a corrupt organization and bad for the players, uh, but I play fa- fantasy football every week. You know, like, the, for me, I, I think it's a good reminder of all the uh, the double standards that exist in my own existence, in all of our existence existences. And... Um, you know, I, I don't think we're asking listeners to have a position one way or another. Maybe we are. 
Uh, I think we're asking you to think about it as we have, have honest conversations with yourself, with your friends, with your families, with someone that doesn't look like you or doesn't have a shared experience of you. And because uh, those conversations are important, and we're not asking for an answer, but just to keep these conversations going, because up until now, um, the silence that we've all experienced in Edmonton's media uh, is certainly not helping the situation. And I don't think silence does in any way. Yeah, um, I think that's a great way to, to to sort of end it. I think that that's really important. The whole point of this uh, topic this week has been about ensuring that there's an open conversation about it with fans, with fellow fans, with people who you don't agree with. I think that's what I was trying to say about Twitter in general and the way that I think this situation has once again exacerbated a, a, an ever-growing problem in our, our society, which is that we have become so quick to respond with uh, 120 characters as opposed to actually engaging and having those conversations, right? Some of the some of the responses on both sides of this situation on Twitter, I'm sure are well thought out. Most of them are not. <laughs> Most of these things are knee-jerk, angry reactions one way or the other. Um, and and then they it spirals even further through that and it becomes, you know, these these situations where people are now attacking individuals for expressing themselves. And I think the hard part about this this whole thing is when you are a part of this kind of community, whether it's as Canadians, as many Canadians have grown up supporting hockey Canada, whether they played minor hockey or they cheered for the world juniors every boxing day, uh, or you're a member of a fan base with a hockey team, or you're a member of a fan base of any sport. I'm, you know, I'm glad you brought up the NFL, you know, we had the conversation and continue to have the conversation about Deshaun Watson and about who, uh, countless other players. Hockey's just having their moment. I think, unfortunately, it's long overdue. And that's why I think it's also overdue for these conversations to be had and to continue to have. We have a platform. We use it to have those conversations. But as Elliot's pointed out, our listeners may not agree, may not feel the same way. We would encourage you to you know, reach out to us if you have questions or thoughts. But more importantly, reach out to the people you know and, and reach out to the other people you know who don't agree with you have those conversations, try to find healthy ways to have those conversations because you will learn something. You will hear something and you may get an opportunity to see the world through a perspective you have not yet had. It does not mean you have to agree with them. It does not mean you have to leave that conversation having changed the opinion you brought into it. But if you are open to an opportunity to grow and to listen, only good things can come from that. And I would encourage the Edmonton Oilers organization to try to do the same with their fan base better than they currently are. Listen to your fan base. Try to respect that your fan base is not, as once Kevin Lowe said, just season ticket holders. It is a diverse, ever-growing, ever-changing group of people who bring with them to your organization a thousand different world perspectives and views politically, culturally, spiritually, religiously, they come from every walk of life. And if you want to continue to have that fan base support you and grow, then you need to continually listen to their perspectives, even the ones you don't agree with. That's topic one. Okay. Topic two. Um, 
obviously that was that there was some heavy conversations there in topic one. We're going to, we're going to keep the rest of the show a little bit lighter and moving along. Uh, we played a game a couple of weeks ago that we had a lot of fun with. We got some great feedback from our listeners about where we, we, we each took a turn sort of uh, fantasizing and imagining what we would do if we got a day with the Stanley cup. Um, there was some fun and kind of silly uh, again, Twitter comes into this whole thing, uh, news surrounding the Super Bowl halftime show. Uh, it was sort of rumored and then, unofficially um, sort of reported, which I always love on Friday, that Taylor Swift was going to be the halftime performer at this year's Super Bowl. She refuted that uh, very quickly said, now that's just not true. Um, Even though pretty much every major news network had reported it, which is of course always fun when they all get it that wrong, because you know, they're just in a race to get the news out as opposed to properly vet and check it. However, I think it may have forced the NFL to play their hand earlier than they may have even officially wanted to announce that Rihanna will actually be this year's Super Bowl halftime show performer. Now, the Super Bowl halftime show has always been a pretty big cultural thing. It's a, you know, it is as big sort of a moment in some ways as the game itself. A lot of people tune in just to watch the halftime show. If it's a, if it's a performer they enjoy, it's obviously been a touch or touch touch point or an inflection point culturally many different times. Janet Jackson, uh, different moments where we have had scandal surrounding it or, or controversy surrounding it. Um, but it's always a big deal. It's always a big, big thing. And then uh, we talked about it, I think last year too, Elliot, I think you have members of your family for whom the halftime show is the event. Uh, and there's a lot of people there. So <laughs> Rihanna is the halftime show this year. The game is this, you are the producer of next year's Super Bowl. Who has not played the Super Bowl as a performer that you would want to see the play? So who would be your like dream halftime performer? And I will give you the opportunity to make it like a small combo. If it's someone and that would also count. So, cause we've had that before, right? We've had like mashups. We had the 50th, we had Coldplay, Bruno Mars and Beyonce. This is, they've done this before. They have like a, a whatever it is. So. Your dream lineup for the Super Bowl halftime show. I'll go first because I didn't give either of you time to prep or think this through. Okay. Right. Um, I'm a big fan personally of going back to like some of the more traditional things where they would bring in like big marching bands, but I want a performer who can like perform alongside a marching band. And I think it would be amazing having just last weekend seen her win an Emmy to have Lizzo play the Super Bowl, but I want like the full USC marching band out there. And I want her to enter playing the flute as a part of the band in like the full band regalia. You don't know she's there. And then she steps out and, and takes off. She's a superstar up and coming crazy big hits. I think she would just absolutely destroy a Super Bowl halftime show. I think it'd be unbelievable, but I want like a full, like 500 piece college marching band as part of the performance. So that would be mine. I'll go with Lizzo. Uh, who do you have, Larise? Who would you want to be the Super Bowl halftime performer? Okay, so um, in order to like really make this big, I want to bring a band back together that has refused to be together, has said they will never play together again. Um, it has to be that big. So it has to be ABBA. But then we got to bring ABBA's material into our century and bring it to <laughs> current times. So like ABBA mixed with like, I don't know, um, maybe like David Guetta or somebody. We've got to have all of the songs remixed, but ABBA reunites for the first time live. 
at the Super Bowl. That's pretty good. That's I think that's a big one. And that certainly <laughs> checks the NFL's box of trying to be like multi-generational. You know, you got mom and dad in the room, you know, sitting there going, hey, you don't know who these guys are. That'd be yeah. great. You always need that, right? Elliot, who do you have? I know you're a bit of a connoisseur of halftime performances. I don't know about that. Uh, I'm going to give you a one that I think would probably be surprising that they haven't. Uh, and they're top of mind for me because I saw them last week. And that's the Eagles. I would love to see the Eagles play this halftime show. And just because I just watched them this weekend and those guys can really rock out. If they're going to do it, they better do it fast. Cause I'm pretty sure Joe Walsh is like ready to die. Man. But I, <laughs> but I would love to see the Eagles. If I wanted to go a little bit more obscure, you know what? Let's totally mess around with the genre. I was looking through the seventies and eighties. They used to have marching bands go on there. I mean, yeah. that's pretty cool, but I think it's time for the resurgence of the musical. So why not just like a couple oh, numbers wow. from Hamilton? That would be awesome. They could just bring up the whole Hamilton stage and just do a couple numbers from that. That'd be I'd be I'd be into that. That's a big one. That'd be that'd be something else too. I, I yeah, it's the kind of the tricky thing, right? Because the, the halftime show is so so much about like trying to draw an audience that may already not be there, and yet at the same time, like it's tricky. Uh, I mean, well, Taylor NFL, really is like the been... biggest name that hasn't arguably. I mean, Rihanna's there, but like Taylor Swift is is different level, right? She's taught kind of top of the pyramid right now. But NFL, you've been put on notice. The Eagles are going to die soon. So yeah. <laughs> it's funny, right? They were, like, but they're, they're like, this is, I, I say that kind of as a joke, but they were like, they were, they didn't care. They were like, yeah, we might, we're probably not going to come through here again. So thanks. Edmonton. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Jordan, you'd love this. So they, there were, they, they, they were all business. They did like, they barely talked in between songs. Like it was yeah. like, go, go, whatever. But Joe Walsh comes out for right before one of his songs and he goes, Man, I sure enjoyed being 20 in the 70s more than I enjoyed being 70 in the 20s. <laughs> we'll wait and see. Maybe one of our uh, predictions will come true. Uh, hopefully not Elliot's prediction of the demise of Joe Walsh. But um, uh, we'll see how that, how that all plays out. Hey, if you have an idea, maybe you've already had this. Like Maybe you have a dream Super Bowl halftime show already in mind out there, listeners. If you do, hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Let us know who your a dream halftime show for the Super Bowl would be, and we will definitely share it, uh, any res responses we get on future episodes. All right, that is top number two. Hello, football fans and fans of the Ordinary Podcast Network. My name is Tyler Walzak. I am here with Puya Ricey, and we are starting a podcast called Running Down the Clock. Each week, we're going to bring to you a little bit of football talk, player news, controversies, headlines, all the big plays, and then football action that you can handle. On August 11th, we will be debuting our podcast, and we are going to break down each division of the NFL up until the season begins. And once that season begins, it is nonstop football talk every Thursday, for the rest of the season, we look forward to you listening to us on the Ordinary Podcast Network. All right, we're going to finish off with hats off. For those uninitiated listeners out there, hats off is the topic where we each take a moment to tip our caps to somebody from the sporting community for whom we believe deserves a moment of recognition. I will go first, and I am tipping my cap to Vancouver-based game developer EA Sports. Now, am I doing that because they have included a woman hockey player on the front cover of the NHL game for the first time? No, although I believe that deserves a little bit of a honorable mention. Kia Nurse, or pardon me, uh, uh, Sarah Nurse, one of the other nurses um, of whom Canada has 
far too many amazing nurse athletes. Uh, Sarah Nurse is on the cover alongside NHLer Trevor Zegras. But I am tipping my cap to EA Sports based in Burnaby, British Columbia, because FIFA 23 will feature for the first time ever a collaboration with the Musqueam First Nation people. And they have developed a collection of um, elements that will go into the new game, including a playable stadium, like a fictional stadium developed to look like it is in the uh, mountains surrounding lower mainland that is covered in and surrounded by indigenous art, all designed by Musqueam artists. They have new uniforms and kits that you can put on your um, ultimate team. And there is also a Musqueam team that will be playable in uh, one of the leagues as well. So there are 11 different indigenous artists, Musqueam indigenous artists from Vancouver who were commissioned to create this artwork. It is authentic. um, It is unique. And I think that it is a beautiful thing that a big company um, based here in the lower mainland has done in an act of reconciliation and in a, in an act of inclusivity. And I think that they deserve a big hats off for that. So my hat is off to EA sports and FIFA 23. Larice, who are you taking your hat off to this week? I, I'm excited. I'm taking my hat off to a, there is an Aussie rules football player named Joel Selwood. And Joel is not just a Aussie rules football player. He is like a legend in Aussie rules football. Um, he is a three-time captain of the All-Australian team, six-time All-Australian, uh, quadruple premiership uh, player for Aussie rules football in the Australian Football League. And his team, um, this is a fun name, the Geelong Cats, nice. uh, won the grand finale just uh, yesterday, two days that ago. That is sorry. the greatest name for a championship in any sport. The grand finale. And so the Geelong Cats were playing the Sydney Swans in the grand finale of the AFL. And Joel, who is this amazing player, was celebrating, the, the, the game ended, and he ran to the stands where he found their water boy, Sam Morefoot. And Sam is a gentleman with Down syndrome, and he has been their water boy of the Geelong Cats since 2015. And he went and... Uh, he they don't they don't stay on on the playing area. He was in the stands and he went and immediately ran to pull him out of the stands with the help of his team to get him on to celebrate with the team. Um, and it was just this beautiful moment that went viral. And I think we need more to see more of that. So um, thank you, Joel, and uh, way to go, Sam. Elliot, take us home. Yeah, Aussie rules football. Great. I, one of the few benefits of working at a casino until two or three o'clock in the morning was coming home and putting on TSN and seeing Aussie rules football on TV in some nights. Uh, so I do appreciate you ever get the- to watch a grand finale. I don't know that I ever watched a grand finale. <laughs> Four thirty in the morning. I'm not sure I was really sure what I was watching, but I enjoyed it. Um, my hats off goes. My hats goes off this week to Dolphins special team player Trent Sherfield who, beyond just finishing the game, actually managed to stand up after taking a punt right off his ass in the middle of the game today. And I mean, like, an NFL... Point blank. (laughs) Point blank right off his ass. If you haven't seen this clip yet, find it. Trent Sherfield. It is hilarious, not just because of the comedy of the entire situation, but when you watch it in slow motion, you realize, like, after it hits, his entire leg just buckles under him. I'm going to leave a bruise. Oh, <laughs> dude. 
they cut to the ball. They cut to the ball going out of bounds. And he's just laying there. You know what? It's it's awesome because it's awesome because Elliot, there is now going to be, we we are we are like one clip away from actually being able to put together like a full NFL like highlight package of just arse related humor. We have the famous, the famous, uh, who's the Jets quarterback who literally ran up the ass of one of his line mates there face first, right? Um, Mark Sanchez, right? Mark Sanchez running with the ball and he runs face first into the rear end of one of his tight ends. And then today, I mean, you're right, Elliot. I will post it on our social media. It is so there funny. is a still two of it where you can literally see the flesh of this man's buttocks being displaced <laughs> by the ball. And it is a serious impact. I mean, he punted that ball straight up this guy's keister. It is so uncomfortable to watch. And it is absolutely hilarious. I, I 100% agree. That is that is one of the greatest hats off of all time. So NFL, you're, uh, you're on notice one more time. We need one more arse-related <laughs> video highlight for the package. Oh, wow. It's so worth it. It's so it was so funny. All I right. mean, it was only funny now because they managed to win the game. If they if they lost by two points because of the ensuing safety, it maybe would have been less funny. But oh my goodness, it's, it's funny. Like, it's very funny. Please go out and find it. it. I don't know what the nickname will be. It'll be like you know, like well, I don't, oh, there's a lot we're of. We're calling bad. it butt punt. Butt punt. Butt punt. Butt punt. All right. Well, let's leave it on butt punt. That is fantastic. Thank you, Elliot. Thank you, Larice. Thank you for having this conversation with us today. Listeners, thank you out there for your support, for your continued support. Again, if you haven't already, please subscribe. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. That was Hatcher. Hatrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler coltman and Braden Dyler coltman and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.